Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Grace Bible Church. It is a joy to be here with you guys. To uh, four years, four years now, right? We're, y'all are in the uh, in the fifth year of ch- y'all aren't a church plant anymore. Y'all are a church, and it's just a joy that know that we help send you guys out and uh, to come here and worship with you. So thank you for having me. Uh, it is a joy. I know your kids much better than I know you. So, uh, but we can change that. We're going to be in uh, in the Word of God today in the Book of Colossians. For those of you that were here last summer, I started in Colossians, and I'm still in Colossians, so uh, as any good expository preacher, he's taking his time. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, but before we start, I want to, I want to, I really want you, I want to engage your minds in a question, and it's a very simple question that's really, it's been spurned in me of a song, but the question is three words, is he worthy? Is he worthy. So as we look inside the Christian home today, that's kind of what I want you to be wrestling with. Is he worthy of what we're talking about today? So I could start you off with a bunch of statistics about how the the modern home is nothing like what our ancestors were raised in. Uh, I could start you off and tell you, you know, 60% of marriages end in divorce or how many single, single parents there are out there. But that really just fuels our desire for a perfect family. I think at the heart of our sinful nature, we want a perfect family. Look at Facebook. Look at Instagram. None of us post pictures of this family that's broken and lost and struggling. We all want to post the picture that makes us look perfect because we think that's the perfect witness to our friends. So I'm here to preach a little bit different message to you today. Our, our goal as a Christian shouldn't be to have the perfect family or the perfect marriage or the perfect kids. What does that even look like? What's our measure for that? Are we letting movies or TV shows or social media influence that? No. The Christian home should be different because the Christian home is built on something much stronger. You see, the Christian home is built on sacrifice. The Christian home is built on Christ. Specifically, the foundation of a Christian home is built on sacrificial commitment. Think back if you're married to when you made those vows and the vows that you took till death do us part. Those weren't just words. They were a you entering into a contract or a covenant with your wife, just like you've entered into a covenant graciously by his grace with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to get back to Christ at the center of all we do. A sacrifice is a surrender or a giving up of something for the sake of something else. I ask you, is he worthy of you giving up yourself for your marriage, for your family, and kids for your parents? Are you committed? Are you pledging? Are you, do you have an active obligation to lift up Christ in your day-to-day activities inside the Christian home? My goal today is to remind us that the gospel is what drives our home. If we take our eyes off of the world and we fix them on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be light. So open your Bibles, please, to Colossians 3. To this point in Colossians, just to bring you up here, Paul has exalted Christ and he's called us to a new life in Christ. 
He's reminded us that we have been rescued, that we have been made complete, that we have been buried with Christ, that he, Jesus Christ, has made peace for us through his blood with God, that we are united, linked to Christ forever, that Christ is and always will be the invisible, the image of the invisible God the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells. And thus, Paul turns now here to relationships. And he starts with the most important relationship in your life, the one inside your home. It's a call not to a perfect life or a perfect family or a perfect marriage or perfect kids. It's a call to a perfect savior. This is the savior we're committed to. So I'm going to offer you this morning four sacrificial commitments inside the Christian home because I want you to think, is he worthy? Let's read Colossians 3, 18 to 21. This is the word of God. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning knowing that we need you more and more every second of every day. Father, we know that none of us are perfect, but we know that you're blessed son is. And so, Father, we pray today for strength to help us take our eyes off whatever distraction that we've come in here with. And I pray that you would use me, the preacher, to focus our eyes clearly on our Lord and Savior. Help us be encouraged to live out these sacrificial commitments in our life, Father. We pray all of this in the precious name of Christ. So I want you to look at verse 18 with me. We clearly have four or five commands, really, two to the husband, of what a Christian home should look like. But the first sacrificial commitment we're going to look at is the one that he gives to the wife. Now, husbands, I don't know, as the leader of the home, why God chose to list the wife first, probably because she'll get it a little quicker than us and he's going to spend a little more time with us. But this is the word of God, and so we will follow its order. Wives, the command in verse 18 is be subject to or submit to, depending on your translation, your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, this isn't a very popular topic for me to bring up. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, because that's not what's being taught in our culture. But the word of God trumps culture. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Not every man. Let's look at the text very clearly. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Not the guy next door. Not somebody else's husband, but your husband. So he's clearly talking about the Christian home. He's asking you, he's telling you, know your place or your rank inside the home. Remember Genesis 2. God created man. Nothing was suitable to be man's helper. God created a helper 
a woman from Adam's rib. This is an order that started in the beginning, and it has nothing to do with how smart you are or any of those things, or even, even the things that you do around the house. It has to do with headship in the home. It's a yielding of power. It's a giving of respect, of authority. And let's step back. It's not just you're giving your husband and the respect, the respect that God has told you to give him. It's that you're obeying the word of God, the living, active word of God that is telling you to do this. This is his design for your home. If you want a marriage that's going to honor Christ, wives, I'm telling you, be subject to your husbands. God's telling you, submit to them. So the best illustration of this, this is really in, in, in the Greek, this would be a ranking under, is the military. So currently, or this was in 2017, two years ago, there were 1.3 military personnel active duty. It ranks from the lowest level of private to the highest level of general, a five-star general. I actually don't think right now we have any five-star generals. Out of 1.3 million people, there are 38 generals. Okay, a private does not get to go tell a general what to do. But a private might have valuable information that will help the general make a decision in combat. That's very similar to what we're talking about in the home. Husbands, I want to be very clear. This does not mean or give you permission to not listen to your wives. You need to recognize that sometimes her voice is the Lord trying to prod you to do what you should do. But it is, wives, a sacrificial commitment for you. Because if we think back to the fall, he's told you this will be hard for you. Honor your husband as head of the household. It's not admitting that you're inferior to him. It's not uh, admitting that you have a lack of intelligence to him. It's not even admitting that you're weaker than him physically. What you're professing is obedience to the word of God. We're in a culture that is really confused about what love is. Wives, what I'm telling you today is that loving your husband is being subject to him. If you want to talk to your girlfriends about how you love your husband, then talk to them about how you submit to him. Be that light in the dark world. You see, we're both created in his image. We are equal in value to God, but we clearly have different roles. This is not conditional. God's word does not say wives be subject to your husbands if they're meeting your needs, if they're treating you the way you want to be treated, if they're acting like a godly man. It simply says, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. It's a peaceful, willing submission. And by your actions, you're saying, God is first in my home. I want you to think of Philippians 2, that Christ, who is God, did not have to leave his rightful place in heaven, but yet he submitted to the Father's will. This is Christ, the image of the invisible God, the one who is full of all deity, the one who is the very God that we worship. And yet he humbled himself to become a man to live a sinless life, 
to walk a beaten path, to be crucified on a cross, and praise the Lord, raise again. This is that type of submission. Christ wasn't saying, I'm not God. He was saying, I am God. I'm going to be the example. Piper sums this up really well. He says, submission does not mean agreeing on everything, leaving your brain at the altar, not trying to influence your husband, or putting your husband's will above Christ. It's not relying on your husband for your spiritual strength. It's living or acting in fear of your husband. That healthy fear that he is the leader of my home. And this, ladies, is what is fitting in the Lord. This is God's desire for your perfect life with him is to do this. This is what's expected of you as a believer, as a wife. This is what's appropriate and suitable. It's the proper conduct for a Christian wife. Ultimately, what we're saying here is that your subjection to your husband, your submission to the man in your household is letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Colossians 3.15, right before this. It's dwelling in him. It's living and trusting him that he knows better than Wikipedia. So our first sacrificial commitment is to our wives, and it is marital submission. Submitting to the one the Lord has placed in your life to lead your household. Guys, there, there comes a weight of responsibility with that. We're going to touch on it a little in our next point. But this is not to be abused by you. This is not to be neglected by you. This is something that in your life, be somebody who is worthy of following. Back to our text, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The interesting thing about verse 19 is that Guys, we get two commands. Again, harder for us to figure it out, I guess. But he doesn't say just do it because it's fitting in the Lord. He just gives us two commands here. Our second sacrificial commitment to the husbands this time is bridal adoration. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Two commands, love. Second command, do not be harsh with them. Husbands, this isn't your best buddy. This is your best friend. But this isn't the guy that you go hunting with. This isn't the guy that you go play basketball with. This is your wife. This is the one who was created from our bodies. This is the one that you have been joined to as one flesh. This relationship in your home should trump everything else. Yes, even your kids. We're in a culture where the kids are the center of the home. If that's your house, you need to repent. You need to go home tonight. You need to talk to each other and say, what are we going to do to make each other the first priority in our home under God? Husbands, you're called to adore your wife, a devoted love. This means that no matter how you're feeling, you're still called to love your wife, to lift her up, to encourage her, to care for her. 
a constant commitment, a sacrificial commitment to her physical, her spiritual, and her emotional health. Do you have this willingness? Do you have that internal attitude of intentional commitment to her good? Is that what drives you every day that I want to bring my wife closer to Christ? Because that's how you can do it. You can live out this command. You can put her above everything else in your life. Yes, your cell phone. Yes, your emails. Yes, your text. Yes, your fantasy football team. Everything. She is your everything. Lori and I were laying in bed last night, and both of us were like, you're my best friend. We have a very healthy relationship of talking and communicating with each other. It's the best friendship I have. Maybe you need a little bit more convincing. So I want you to think about your prized possessions in your home. Maybe it's your car. I'm a little guilty of it being my yard sometimes, although armadillos are really wreaking havoc on that. Maybe it's a boat or a gun. For me, when I was younger, it was a baseball card. A 1989 Ken Griffey Jr. rookie upper deck baseball card. It was like worth $125 at that point. I think it's worth like two now. Okay. I was putting my, my hope in the wrong things. But I want you to think about this baseball card I have and everything that I would be doing to take care of it. I mean, we're talking about inside of a plastic sleeve, inside of a plastic case, in a drawer where nobody's going to see it. That's how much care I was taking of this baseball card. Am I taking that much care of my wife? Am I protecting her in those ways? Protecting her from, from sin? Protecting her from my own self, my own selfishness? Because that's what we're getting at here, husbands. This love we're talking about, it's a selfless love. You're called in Ephesians to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let me remind you that Christ died for the church. He didn't just get it to that point and say, okay, here you go, honey. No, he died. He laid himself down. And it wasn't a, a passive love. I don't know how long since you've read the Gospels, but if you read about the road to Calvary, was there anything easy about what Christ did for us leading up to the cross? Yielding up his spirit might have actually been the easiest thing. Because that meant it was finished. But think about the agony. Three hours on the cross, dark, separated from God. Bearing the wrath of our sin. So that one day we could get married and love our wives as he loves us. Christ made an incredible sacrificial commitment to us on the cross. And so if we want a perfect marriage, we need to make a sacrificial commitment to our wife. We need to love her above everything else. And the second command here is do not be embittered. Do not drive them to bitterness. Do not be harsh with them. Treat them right. Treat them kind. Be tender-hearted, Guys, I know it's hard to come home uh, from, a, from a long day. Uh, for me, it's you know, clients that don't always go the way they need to go and, and come home and be like, honey, how was your day? But that's what the call to love is. The call to not be harsh looks like walking home and saying, honey, I want to hear about your day, and I'm fully engaged. I'm setting my phone down. I'm going to listen to you. 
The other day, that was coming home and immediately going to discipline a child. But that's what it called for that day. That was loving my wife because I gave her the witness of who I am as head of the household. It's encouraging her. Guys, we are, man, I can really pick on guys because I am one, I guess, but we can lay down everything to come to a Bible study or go hang out with our church friends because that we're, we're being more godly, right? We're growing in godliness. But when's the last time you encouraged your wife to go on a biblical retreat or your wife to go to a Bible study? Be encouraging. Don't be harsh. Don't put yourself above everything else. Don't abuse your power in the house for personal gain, but use it to promote godliness. That's loving, and that's not being harsh with our wife. I love Piper. Again, he said, leadership does not mean you do not listen. Leadership doesn't even mean always getting the last word. Good leadership often says, honey, you were right. I was wrong. And actually heeding her advice. But here's the reality. We live in a fallen world. If you don't believe me, go to Genesis 3. Marriage is very, very hard. Not all marriage works. We're swimming upstream. We're swimming against a current that wants marriage to fail. I'm telling you right now, Satan wants nothing more than for marriages to be destroyed. It's a daily struggle that exists between us, husband and wife, as a result of the fall. And then we're also battling these internal fleshly desires, right? The things that I want, the things that I need. But we're called to flee temptation and wage war against our sin, not against each other. Wage war against sin. Stop waging war against each other. So as we finish up these first two sacrificial commitments, wives, marital submission, husbands, bridal adoration, we need to remember a couple of things. I want to bring to mind the question I asked you. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of sacrificial commitment in your life? Wives, can you lay yourself aside and submit to your husband? Husbands, can you rightly love and not be harsh with your wife? Is he worthy? Remember, God's design is good and right. Male headship was not a result of the fall. Chapter 2 happened before chapter 3. Remember, marriage is not a competition. You're not trying to be a better spouse. You're trying to be a godly spouse. You're trying to make a sacrificial commitment to each other. Hers looks like submission. Yours looks like love and not being embittered. And remember, you're going to fail. We don't want perfect marriages. We want marriages that reflect the perfect Savior. How about a Facebook post that says, we got in a fight tonight. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, I was able to confess my sin to my wife, and then we prayed. As opposed to the perfect picture on Facebook that everybody knows it took 30 minutes to get. We're going to fail every day. Marriage is designed, I believe, for one purpose is to reveal your sin. 
So if you're single in here, be ready to have your sin revealed. Marriage is wonderful. You have a best friend. But you're not going to marriage for joy. You're going to marriage for Christ. To be conformed more to his image. And so maybe that should be at the top of your checklist when you're searching for a spouse. Is this person a believer? Is this person walking with the Lord? Husbands and wives, just be ready to repent and forgive. And I'm not going to leave you without some help here. I want you to see what this looks like in your life. For one, I think it means you pray with and for each other every day. Lori and I were encouraged by a good friend of mine four or five, maybe six years ago now, to pray every night together before we go to bed. We alternate. I'm odd, so I get odd days. She's wonderful, so she gets even days. And we pray probably 97% of the night since we started it. Sometimes it's a very short prayer. Lord, we are very tired. Please let us sleep well. Don't let our kids wake up. Sometimes it's a very long pray for your church or our church, or our elders, or people whose marriages we know are struggling. It's a time that I can hear what's on her heart. You see, I have a set time every other night. I'm going to know what's on my wife's heart because she's going to pray to the God and Savior of the world. It means reading God's word together, number two. Trust God's word together, read it together, and discuss it. We talk about a lot of things, Are you talking about God's word with your wife? Have you asked her uh, what she's reading? You asked her where God's working on her? Wives, have you asked these husbands what they're doing at these Bible studies and what they're talking about? Number three, this one just seems like I shouldn't have to tell you this, but spend time together. Lori and I have kind of made a new commitment after this sing conference to come home and put our phones in another room. Because there's nothing, I'm confessing it to you, there's nothing more important that's coming from that little electronic device than spending time with that woman. Spend time together. Go on a walk. Talk to each other. These are the things that are going to bring you to godliness. These are the things that are going to witness to your friends. When we tell people, yeah, we spend an hour together a day, or I'm sorry, a week, going through eight questions about our soul, people are like, what? Where do you find an hour a day to do that? I don't know, but we do it. And it doesn't happen every week. I'd be standing up here lying to you if I said it did. But we try to do that every week because it helps us center ourselves on Christ. And last, husbands and wives... This is probably the most important. Repent and forgive. Don't hold on to things. Let them go because I can promise you right now, God's not holding on to your sin. Why do you hold on to your spouses? Why are you holding it above her head or his head? Repent of your sin and forgive her sin. That's sacrificial commitment. That's loving each other. That's obeying the commands of God. Verse 20, kids, you're not getting off that easy. Wives, husbands, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing 
to the Lord. Don't you hate kids when your parents pull out Ephesians 6.1 on you? Obey your parents for it is right, but they're doing a godly thing. They're giving you the word of God. They're trying to steer you in a direction that will help you. The command for you, child, I would say child at this point is going to be somebody who's living in the home under their parents' authority. Be obedient to your parents in everything. This means listening, and this means willfully submitting. Do you remember the fifth commandment? This is a good Bible church. I know we know about honoring your father and mother. Do you know that that means obedience? Do you know that God takes your relationship with your parents very serious? So serious, in fact, that in Exodus 21.7, he said, He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. I think he takes your relationship with your parents very serious. I think he takes the way that you treat your parents very serious. And he's not giving you any loopholes here. He clearly says, in all things. It doesn't matter what translation you go look at it in. In all things, everything, no holes, no no gaps, absolute adherence to your parents. Let me give you an example. Let me introduce you to my friend and Savior, Jesus Christ, who in Philippians 2, as we said, humbled himself to become a man, who then lived a perfect life. He went into the desert and was tempted for 40 days. 40 days, mind you, think of that temptation, piling upon temptation, a piling upon temptation. Fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here he is sweating blood, children. And he says, Father, if you can take this cup away from me, but not my will, yours. Child, who are you to think that you know better than your parents when the Lord of the universe submitted to his earth, to his heavenly father? You see, Christ could have ended it all. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. He is God. But he submitted to his heavenly father. Not even thinking the fact that he didn't sin his whole life, and we know he grew up in a home with Mary and Joseph. That means he didn't sin against them either. That means that every time he told them, they told him to go clean his room, he did it. Every time they told him not to look at something, he did it. Perfect obedience. Children, your sacrificial commitment is perfect compliance. And you should do this because it pleases God. I think of Jesus' baptism and the Father saying, This is my son. I mean, the heavens opened up. Think of what it means to please the Lord and God of the universe. You can do that. You want to know how? Obey your parents. Man, Heath, you're being really hard. My parents aren't nice. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say only if your parents are nice or only if your parents tell you to do 
what you want to do. This is a side note. Kids, I want you to care more about your purity than you care about your cell phone. Because that's what your parents want. That's why they're putting restraints and restrictions on you. They're trying to protect you from this world. Will you obey them? Is he worthy? Teenager in this room professing to be a Christian, is Jesus worthy of you obeying your parents? I think he is. Maybe you need an example. Well, we've got football season coming up. Depending on who you like or where you live, this is true among all teams. There's an owner or general manager, there's a coach, and there's a player. The player does not get to trade players. The GM makes those decisions. The coach calls the plays. The player executes. God is the general manager of your life. Your parents are the coach in your life, and you're the player. So play. Do what you've been called to do. Be obedient to your parents. Remember this, God chose your parents. No chance, no random action. There was no mistakes in his plan. He's not foolish. He gave you the parents you have right now. Remember, parents are more fit and capable to raise you than you are. If you don't believe that, parents, I would challenge you to leave your kids alone for a week. They're going to burn down your house. Don't do that. As an insurance guy, please don't do that. Kids, I know you think you have it all figured out because I thought I had it all figured out, and I know that what your parents tell you doesn't make any sense, but I promise it does. Remember that they are fit and capable to raise you, that they love you. Remember, kids, your parents are not your friends. They're not your equal. They're not a vending machine. They're not a genie. God gave them a purpose to raise you and train you. He gave them dominion over you. You're called to obey them. Remember that they love you. They pray for you. I can attest to this. They pray for you more than you will ever know. You know what they're praying? They're praying first for you to know and love Christ. They're praying second that you won't make the same dumb mistakes we made. That's why they take away your phones. That's why they do these things. We've been there. We've done it. We know the outcome's not that good. Number three, kids, you got to give your parents some grace. Guess what? We mess up. In my house, I have an 11-year-old now. I've never raised an 11-year-old. This is the first time for me. Kendall, I need grace. We don't always get it right. It requires you recognizing that your parents are not perfect. They are broken, but they believe that Jesus is worthy, and they want to point you towards him. So kids, what does this look like in your life? This doesn't really sound very youth pastory. I'm kind of being all, but this is the word of God. Stop rebelling. Your rebellion is not against your parents. You're rebelling against God. And he could pluck you from this earth any second of any day. Number two, recognize that when you disobey, it's sin. It's not just I did something wrong. It's not just, oh no, I'm going to get grounded. I want you to think about this. There is an eternal consequence for disobeying your parents. It's hell. 
that simple. Let's pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would change your heart and forgive your sins. But you need to know that disobedience is not something to be taken lightly. Number three, I would ask you today, child, repent and follow Jesus Christ. Recognize your sin, recognize your disobedience, and trust in the one who is worthy. All right, kids, I'm done with you for now. Fourth sacrificial commitment. Let's look at verse 21. Fathers, think implied here could be parents, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I do think it can be implied parents. I think he's addressing fathers as we go back to the roles in the home. The father is the head of the household. But moms, I want you to listen too. Do not exasperate your children. Do not irritate them. Do not provoke them. Do not stir up anger in them. Do not nag them. Jesus doesn't do those things to you. I want you to think of the patient Savior that we have that right now is reigning and feeling the weight of our sin as we try to get to glory. He's not provoking you. He's not stirring you up to anger. He's encouraging you. Hopefully, he's encouraging you every day by his word. And I want you to think about an example. Y'all have a wonderful children's book over there about this. Think about when Christ calmed the storm. Right? Here's Jesus. He's a man, God-man, in fact. But he was tired. He'd been preaching a lot. And so he's asleep in a boat, and they take off on this nice journey with a nice calm sea. But all of a sudden, a storm comes up. The winds are raging. The waves are raging. And the disciples have no idea what to do. They're scared out of their minds. They wake him up. And he doesn't have the response that we would have as a father. He doesn't say, stop bothering me. He doesn't even correct them. He takes care of the problem. He tells the wind and the waves to obey. He doesn't provoke his disciples, but he does at the end ask him a very pointed question. What are you afraid of? Have you little faith? Do you not know that I am the savior of the universe? Do you, are your parents, I'm sorry, are your kids scared to come ask you questions because they think you're going to jump on them or that they're not going to be good enough? I see it. I'm a youth pastor at a Bible church. I know the standards we have for our kids. We checklist parent. I want them to look like this. I want them to act like this. Let's stop that and let's want them to love Jesus. Love Jesus so much that all those things will happen. We went to this sing conference. I wasn't convicted about my singing. I love singing. I went to a breakout session from a Puritan that told me I need to be sitting down and having family worship time with my kids every day because that's my responsibility. And you know what? He's right. Read Deuteronomy 6. Everything we do should be for our kids and their benefit in knowing Christ. How many times, dads, 
Let's be honest with ourselves. How many times do you quote verse 320, obey me, but you totally forget about verse 21, that you're not supposed to be provoking your kids to anger? We do it. We get impatient. We want perfect kids. Let's be real. It's easier. If our kids act perfect, it's easier. Our life's better. God has not called you to a perfect life. He's called you, let I remind you, to a perfect Savior. Admit your brokenness. Break down and confess your sin, maybe even to your kids. Tell them that you need Jesus every day just as much as they need him right now. And remember, he's using your kids to bring you closer to him. Why do we expect that our kids are going to be trained when we don't spend any time training them? I'm very guilty of telling my kids to go clean their room, and when they do it based on what they think cleaning their room is, I get mad because it's not done my way, but let's be real, I've never taken the time to show them how I want it done. How many things like that do we do in our life? Stop provoking them by making unreasonable demands. Like, we want to guide them. We want to point them in the right direction, yes, but are we doing so in a way that makes it impossible to meet our standard? Mind you, mom and dad, our standard is not God's standard. Let's, let's rule by God's standard. Let's not threaten them. Let's not stop trying to take control of everything. Let's get rid of the unrealistic expectations that we have that all these teenagers that profess Jesus are going to live perfect little lives. I went to camp. They don't. They run off. Can't find some of them. Did we, I don't think we left any there, though. Parents teach, train, discipline. This doesn't mean you don't discipline your kids. Forgive them. And be for them and not against them. Do not exasperate them. Why? Because if you do, they will lose heart. This is a promise. They will become demoralized. They will become dismayed. And ultimately, they're going to stop trying to live up to your expectations. Continued provoking means eventually they will stop obeying altogether. And I don't think that's what we want as godly parents. We don't want them to doubt the faith that we preach. We don't want them to doubt the hope that we preach. We don't want them to doubt that the love that Jesus has for us, yet our actions speak louder than words often. What I want for my children is I want them to be broken by their sin. I don't want them to lose heart in their earthly father. I want them to see sin for what sin is. I don't want to provoke them based on some made-up standard I've created. And I think the best way that we can show them how to surrender to Christ is to surrender ourselves. Mom and dad, your faith, your hope, and your love, sometimes it's just words. You have to live it out. I would even encourage you, this is going to be a dangerous question, but ask your kids, do I live out my faith, hope, and love around you? If not, where am I failing? Can we not have those honest conversations with our kids? We want them to have honest conversations with us. Are you a help or are you a hurdle to your children? 
Are you a wall that's preventing them from seeing Jesus? So parents, what does this look like? Well, you shepherd them. You shepherd them every day. Nothing, you've got, I'm laying out a lot of things for you to do. We're taking up a lot of time in your day, but it's for God because he's worthy. Nothing is going to be more important than caring for them, praying for them, and feeding them. Spend time with them in the word. It doesn't take, our kids have learned in the last three days, it doesn't take an hour. It takes five to 10, 15 minutes. Sing a song together. Read the word of God together. Let them ask questions about it. If you don't know how to answer the questions, then you're going to have to do a little prep work on the front end. Show them what that looks like so when they grow up and have families, they'll do it. Run after them. Remember the prodigal son? Recognized his sin? The father darted out to him. Are you running after your kids when they stray? Discipline them. I cannot stress enough. Discipline is biblical. Discipline when they obey. Discipline in a manner that is proper. You're probably not spanking a 17-year-old. You might. But that may be taking their phone away for two weeks. This is the hardest one. I want you to praise them. I want you to praise them when they do well. If I have a weakness in my house, it's that I'm this perfectionist. I'm preaching to myself here today. I want my kids to act like this and do like this, and I don't praise them enough for the things that they do well. Let's praise our kids. Let's show them that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of these four sacrificial commitments that we make inside the Christian home. Wives, marital submission. Husbands, bridal adoration. Kids, perfect compliance. And parents, gracious parenting. I want to remind you again that you will never have a perfect marriage, perfect kids, or a perfect family on this earth. But I want to remind you that there is a perfect marriage waiting for you. A marriage to the Lamb. A marriage to the one who took your punishment, bared the weight of your sin, felt the heaviness of the wrath of God so that you don't have to. But God is using this time in your life right now, husbands, wives, kids, parents, He's using it for your benefit and for your good. He's using it to refine you like gold because he wants a perfect bride. And he's using this time on earth to perfect you. So, wives, when you lack submission to your husband, remember that that's really just showing you a lack of submission to Christ. Husbands, When you lack love or are bitter towards your wife, recognize that that's you lacking love for Jesus and being bitter towards him. Kids, when you lack obedience to those parents, you're lacking obedience to Christ. Mom, dad, when we don't delight in our children and the things that come along with that, we are not delighting in Christ. We're not delighting in the Savior. You see, he doesn't, I am more and more convicted about this here recently. 
He doesn't want us to look perfect. He wants us to look like broken people that are dependent on him. We're going to sin. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. None of us will live a perfect life. But we can also hit our knees and we can witness for Christ by being those families. So, we want to be holy, but we will never be perfect. I want to encourage you that perfection not be your aim, but that Christ be what you are reaching for. Cling to him. Reach for him. Beg for him. And I will leave you with the question, is he worthy? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the one and only God of the universe. You are the one who knows how many hairs are on our head. You are the one who sent his son to be our perfect savior. You are the one who will destroy this earth and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, you are the one we adore. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Father, that's what we ask today. We ask that these commitments not be a checklist in our lives, but they be a guide to us loving and knowing Christ more and more every day. I want to pray for you to help us. I want to pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would move us to talk to each other, to love each other, to submit when submission is necessary, and, Father, to lift you high in our homes. We pray all of this in the perfect Savior's name. Amen.